the middle line, and people are blowing horns at me, and, you know, I think they're being friendly, don't you? <laughs> yeah. My sister-in-law in Naples, Florida, uh, was wanting to catch up the other day, and she said, what have you found out about your congregation during the Aussies over here, by the way? And... Uh, For you who didn't know, we both got COVID, and she fell in the bathtub and broke her ankle. And uh, so we're in a recovery situation. Anyway, I said, well, what I always knew, we've got an awful lot of good people in our church. And uh, it just shows up, and we really do. And Aussie and I thank you for cards and letters. Many of you have wanted to bring food and all that stuff, and we've asked uh just check it because we don't want to waste your efforts and waste your food. And we don't have much of an appetite. I told you before I ever got this COVID thing, I saw some fasting in my future. <laughs> and uh, I'm, I'm down now about 13 pounds. And <laughs> I've still got a gut, but it's not like it was. So uh, we'll live. Well, good to see everybody. I want you to go with me to Joshua, the book of Joshua. We're not going to attempt all to read all of chapter 3 and 4. We're talking to you about this is not our new series, which will be John. But I uh, have been listening to Aussie. She's been telling me for a couple of years that I ought to bring this message uh, which I did about 15 years ago, the last time, under the title, The Sustaining Power of Monumental Faith. Let me, I'm not going to read, try to read uh, two whole chapters, but I will read portions of it. Uh, we start out in Joshua chapter 3, and again, a historical message from the life of Israel that has everything to do with you and I, everything. The uh, The time had come after 40 years to go into the promised land. They'd been in the wilderness for 40 years, 40 long years. And most of the generation that came out of Egypt, except those 20 years and younger, were dead under the judging hand of God. They did not believe God. Now the time had come for the armies of Israel to go into the promised land. Joshua rose early in the morning. He and all Israel set out from Shittim, and came to the Jordan, and they lodged there before they crossed. And it came about at the end of three days that the officers went through the midst of the camp, and they commanded the people, here's what's about to happen. When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God with the Levitical priest carrying it, then you too shall set out from your place and go after The ark's going to go this way. And when you see those priests carrying those ark, pay attention. And then you set out behind them. However, keep a holy distance. There shall be between you and it, that ark of the covenant, 2,000 cubits, about 3,000 feet. Do not come near it, that you may know the way which you go, for you have not passed this way before. This is God directing you. And Joshua said to all the people, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Big things are about to happen. Verse 6, and Joshua spoke to the priest, take up the Ark of the Covenant, cross over. 
go that away. Crossover ahead of the people. They took up the Ark of the Covenant and went ahead of the people. And the Lord said to them, this day I'm going to begin in case of Joshua. They've always looked to Moses, Moses, Moses. Now they're going to look to you and I'm going to set you apart. I'm going to exalt you in the sight of Israel. And they will know that just as I've been with Moses, I am with you. You shall, however, command the priest who are carrying the Ark of the Covenant. When you come to the edge of the waters of Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. Now, here's what I'm going to tell you. The rest of rather read it all. Here's what he says. March with that Ark, carrying it on your shoulders. Everybody keeping a 300-foot distance between you and the ark, a holy distance. You carry it. The Jordan River was flooding at this time. It's not a big river, and when it floods, it can flood big. Some of us who were most recent trip to Israel saw that, and it can really get big. When you get there, you're going to cross. How the heck are you going to cross? It's a flooding river. I'm going to stop the rivers, the river up here. God says, my hand is going to stop and you're going to go, what is happening here? And I'm going to create a dry space in the middle of it. And you priest, when you get out there in the middle of the river, stop, stand still, don't move another inch in the middle of the river until all those people pass over because there's going to be a wall of water up here miles away. What kind of wall would it be? A wall, a biggie. And it's not going to let loose. And you cross over to the promised land near Jericho. They're going to go over. And once they get over, the Lord says, here's what I want to happen. I want you to take some guys over there from all the tribes of Israel, the 12 tribes, I want you to, on that side, I want them to go out into the river. I want two things to happen. Two things. I want them to go over there where the priests are standing, and I want them to pick up a rock. There's always rocks in the bed of a river. Pick up a rock. Each one a big rock. Pick it up. And I want them to go over here to the other side, the other side, deposit that rock and build a big pile there, a big pile of rock. And uh, I want the rest of you to uh, then cross over. The priests are going to evacuate, go to the other side, and I want you to cross over. And here's going to be the big deal. I'm having to do this because I've got a lot to say this morning and I don't want to take till 12 o'clock to do it. It all relates so much to us and so many of you need this. He said the time will come in the fourth chapter. The time will come when your, your children say, Hey, Pop, hey, Mom, what's that pile of rocks there mean? And you're going to say to them, I want you to say to them, oh, I don't know. You're going to say to them, glad you asked, son. Glad you asked, girl. Here's the deal. When we came out of Egypt, the Jordan River was flooding, 
and we couldn't cross. The Lord, just as he did at the Red Sea, he stopped the waters up here at a certain spot, and we crossed over on dry ground into this promised land. That's what that means. I don't ever want you to forget it. You are to say, verse 21 of chapter 4, when he said to the sons of Israel, when your children ask their fathers to come in time, what are these stones? Then you shall inform your children of the monument that God built. Israel crossed this Jordan on dry ground. Can you believe that? Well, they did. Here are the rocks. They came out of that middle of that river. And the Lord your God dried up the waters in the Jordan before you until you had crossed, you the people, just as the Lord your God had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before until we had crossed, that all the peoples of the earth may know the hand of the Lord God Almighty so that you may fear him, the Lord, forever. That's what you call a monument. Now let's talk about that. There are many of you here in this congregation, some who are not here this morning. For as long as I've been here, this has been a suffering congregation. A lot of you people have heavy, heavy stuff on your plates. If you don't now, you've had in the past. And if you haven't had it either, you will have if you know the Lord. You'll have so many blessings, but you will also have burdens that you can't anticipate. This story is a timely reminder that when bad things seem to pelt us like a hailstorm, we've got to be mentally prepared. Our faith has got to be prepared. We're talking about that. I cannot tell you how important this subject matter is for the Christian life and for my own walk with God. Let's face it, there are times, some of you are sitting right in your seat, and sometimes when I'm up here or somebody else up here teaching, some of this stuff just kind of goes over our head because you're saying, what about me? We talk about God and his goodness and all of his blessings and provisions, and you're sitting there thinking, yeah, but what's going on in my life? God doesn't seem to be there. When we call him, he doesn't seem to answer. I don't mean to suggest that is the case, but I'm talking feelings, not the fact of the matter. There are times when God doesn't seem to live up to his billing. Perform as advertised, which is the whole theme of my book, Polishing God's Monuments. When we ask him to fill our cups I always say he just seems to eat our lunch. When he seems thunderously silent, and there are times, and our prayers seem to avail, to no avail or worse, it just seems, been there, it just seems that we keep on getting the opposite of what we ask him for. It seems that when in a given space of time you feel as if you had to go into court, been there, and offer convincing evidence of God's care and his provision for you. 
you couldn't write down enough evidences on the back of a postage stamp. And that gives you kind of an ill, Ill feeling. This whole theme is deeply rooted in biblical teaching and narratives. So many believers, and some of you are probably among them, are ignorant of it behind the curve. And you go through so much more doubt and darkness than is necessary if you would just learn the lesson and the discipline that I'm talking about this morning. So we started with a biblical precedent, just one, folks, just one. I'm going to bring it all down to the place where we live. Here's the question. What do you do in those situations when God seems to hide himself? Do we just truck on in blind faith? I just believe God. I know a fellow that was in this congregation just kind of briefly. And he was always telling me boastfully, Oh, Pastor Jim, I have great faith. Great faith. Well, he didn't, and it crashed. Do we just truck on in blind faith? Oh, I just know God's going to take care of everything. I just trust him. That's my faith. i got great faith. And then some of you may say, I have hardly any. That is not biblical faith, what I just described. It's blind faith. Biblical faith is anchored in God's word and in God's works. So here's the answer, the discipline of monumental faith, which is a great theme of my ministry, as many of you know. Monumental faith does not speak of a huge, a huge or colossal faith, but a faith that is stubborn. It's learned in the dark valleys and long silent nights of pain and suffering. That's where it's learned. It does not just look ahead for relief, but it looks back to God's monuments or markers in the past for comfort and for reassurance. That's what I'm talking about. I want to tell you a story. Some of you have heard this more than once. But church is mold, and many of you have never heard it. And it's always good for those of you, just as it's good for me to remember it. It's good for you to hear it. Just to be reminded. So I'm going to put up, I think we're going to put up, I, Brian put him up there. Guys, the big house, put her up there. That used to be our home. Used to be. I'm going to tell you the story. There it is, another side. 1824 Southeast, Stevens in Portland. There's another angle. There's just one picture of the porch area, the back porch. That's inside. Let's see another. There's the stairway. My, my, my. Uh, There's a family room. All right, move ahead. Not bad, huh? People telling me, Jim, you're 190 years old. You need to move down. I've already done it once. (laughs) Go ahead. One more picture, two more pictures, whatever. 
Now, it didn't look like that when we lived in it. It's been updated. It's in the Oregon Historical Register. All right, there's a, there's a carriage house, three-car garage, carriage house over top. John and Christy live there. Okay, that's enough. Thank you. I want to tell you the story. I came to teach at Western Seminary in... 1980. I had to leave my family behind in Denver and cried all the way to Fort Collins. Much bigger story. Having to leave them behind in Christie's senior year, it didn't seem right. We, Lord, why don't you sell our house? We had a great house there. And why don't you sell it? He didn't sell it. One morning I got up, left Aussie behind and drove to Portland, Oregon. As I say, I, I cried for about a hundred miles. Still chokes me up a little. Anyway, we get to Portland. We were a whole school year in Portland waiting for Aussie to call. In those days, you didn't have cell phones. Call, spend her dime, which she didn't like to do. And tell me that home had sold. Then we had somebody come by. And I got a call. I know it must be me. I got a call, and she said, Jimmy, I think the house is sold. <laughs> Praise God. And we'll know tomorrow. Tomorrow came. The guy rode off into the sunset. I called her, and I never will. Oh, see, what the heck is happening back there? Jimmy, I don't know. His wife said something about being too far. Oh, Lord God, where are you? I was mad. I was mad as you know what, mad at God. Never had experienced that before. Anyway, the day came and went. There's more to that story I wish I could tell you. But I've got to finish this message. A couple months went by, as I recall. A couple months, and then she called. And a professor couple from Denver College came in and bought the house for $10,000 more than in our desperation. We had lowered the price. Man, I was through the moon. Then a guy calls me. I had all kinds of real estate people calling me. I'd become a commodity by this time. And everybody in Portland seemed to know me and wanting to sell me a home. I had become an unofficial realtor myself by this time. I knew the prices of homes and everything. I could look at them and tell you what that home went for. He offered me lunch. I'm from West Virginia. I like welfare. And so, <laughs> so I told him, yeah, I'll go out to lunch with you. We went out to lunch. He started opening his books. He said, what kind of house do you like? Do you like, you like older homes? I said, yeah, if they have some character. And he said, uh, well, what about this one? He showed me one. I said, well, that, that has promise. I'll go look at it with you. We went to see it. It was already sold. Besides, it was up against the sidewalk, not what I wanted. And uh, we went back. He said, if you've got time, I'd like to show you another home. And I said, well, if it's close to the seminary, i got work to do. That's a familiar theme with me. I got work to do. He said, yeah, it is actually. It's kind of on the way. And he took me over a street or two, took me up this little hill, parked the car at a quarter, 
and he pointed at that house. Well, Zillow said, I thought it was 7,700. Zillow said it was 8,800 square feet. 23 rooms. And he looked at that and he said, do you like that? And I looked at him like, duh. <laughs> yeah, of course. Eight big oak trees going around the corner, wrapping around the corner. I said, why do you ask me? He says, because I think we can get you in it. I looked at him. I said, Al, how? He said, let me work on that. He did. Long story short, we got it. I took pictures and sent them back to Denver, and nobody in Denver could believe it. We could hardly believe it either. But 120 rolls of wallpaper later, <laughs> we were in it. We were in it. Amazing place. But then there came a time, there came a time about six years later when I kept looking at the place and I saw all these soffits up there and I said, I don't have any money. How am I going to care for this place? Like inheriting a golf course. <laughs> I can't mow all the grass. <laughs> and oh, what am I going to do? And I prayed and I said, Lord, if you, this is a monument. This is a monument. I never want to forget it, Lord God, never. Wonderful. And I don't want to put a for sale sign up there because I'm in a little bit of a panic about how I'm going to take care of it. So I tell you, Lord, here's what I want to happen if you allow it. Would you just call somebody to come to our door and go knock, knock and say, would you like to sell your house? I said, I know this is highly irregular. Things do happen like that. Lo and behold, a little real estate lady, Lori, you've been in your business for a long time. Forget who she is with by the name of Virginia Nava. She was really a great lady. She knocked on the door and she was so polite. She said, sir, my name is Virginia Nava. She says, I have a client who see your house and they want it. <laughs> she said, would you be willing to sell it? I said, well, maybe. <laughs> well, maybe. Long story short, they bought the house and got it in the Oregon Historical Register. What a couple of monuments, front end and back end. We obviously have never forgotten that, and we shouldn't. Because we've been through hell and high water since. And it's been many a day when Aussie and I have had to look back. Look back, not ahead. And just say, well, the Lord will take care of it. That's okay. But sometimes, folks, you need to go back and look what God has done already in your life. And say, I know the kind of God you are. You haven't changed. I haven't changed. And somehow, some way, you're going to take care of this. You're not a wall, And I'm not a wall. So we're still on the same path. So that's one great monument, that big house. I want to tell you another or two. Bear with me. Back about 2002, people would say to me, Jim, you ever thought about going on radio? I couldn't stand the sound of my own voice. And I said, well, I don't want to do that. I just really don't 
think that's the thing for me to do. I walked in the office one day, and one of the pastors said, Jim, I got a call from KPDQ. Some pastor had torpedoed as a national figure, you know, one of those sad stories. They've got an opening. Said, uh, wondered if Pastor Jim would like to take that slot. And I said, well, what would it cost? Said it would take, it would take 40000 a year. And this would be on me, not the church. I don't have $40,000. I'd had a couple of men totally separately say, Jim, if there's any time I can help you in your ministry, let me know. By this time, I'd found out it would take another 5000 for the equipment. So I called one of them. I said, John, here's the deal. He said, put me down for twenty-two five. Wow. I still got another twenty-two five. So I called the other guy. They didn't know each other. I called the other guy. He was in Detroit on a busy. I could tell he was in a hurry. And I told him what the deal was. He said, Jim, put me down for twenty-two five. There's $45,000, and here we are 20, 20 years later, still on radio, going everywhere. That's called a monument, folks. When God does these things, you got to get hold of them, and you can't let go of them, because days will come. As I found out that Jim or you, we get kind of forgetful, and we're whining and we're complaining, Oh, God, God, where are you? He's saying, where's your mind? Can't you remember? Can't you remember, Jim? And I remembered. We had one along about that same time. A few of you have heard this. Along about that same time, I was so discouraged. We'd had some Jacob's troubles here. And I was so beaten down that I could no longer believe that God's hand was on me. I just... I'd never had any doubt about that in all my life. We were taking off for our Naples vacation. And uh, I told the Lord, Lord, I can't go on to ministry unless I know you're with me. I just can't do it. And when I go to Naples, I've got to hear from you somehow. Or when I come back, I'm going to have to resign. Never intended to do that in all my life. But I'm wasted. I have no more morale. I have no more confidence that your hand is on me. Things just keep going from bad to worse to worse. So I got down to Naples and nothing was happening. I'd go out every morning and I would walk during the day about eight miles. I'd walk about five miles in the morning. Up and down the beach, but not on the sand, kind of a boardwalk. And I would pray. And I would pray. Nothing was happening. Then Ossie and I didn't like to stand out in the heat in Florida. That time we went over to Costco. Go over to Costco, go along the books. Naturally, I'm drawing the books. And there's a book. It's a heavy book. Costco doesn't know what a heavy book is. I mean, it was thick, it was about that thick. 
It was a biography of Jonathan Edwards written by a renowned American scholar. Who in Costco, Florida, or Portland is going to buy that book? Who's going to do it? I am. (laughs) I picked it up. Took it home. I've been expecting, I'm just kidding, an angel or something to speak to me. And I started reading the book, and I read, and I read. And I found in that book, wish I could tell you more, found in that book exactly what I needed. And the Lord was speaking in a totally different way than I ever expected. And all of a sudden, the morale surged. There were so many analogies between Jonathan Edwards' ministry and my own. Except intelligence. His intelligence was way up there. So I didn't compare on those things. But he was one of America's greatest men. First president of Princeton University. And I kept waiting for the book to go and seeing have this Hollywood ending. It didn't have. He, He became president of Princeton University and died. But he's still renowned today. That was it. I've never forgotten it. Don't you forget forget those things. One one more. During those times about when they started, we had people leaving the church, discussing me and cussing me and more cussing me than discussing me. We had lies going this way, that way, every way. They were just so heavy. And you just wondered, what's going to happen to the church? Well, here, all these years later, we're here. But a guy walked in and gave us a gift. I had been praying for it. The staff had heard me pray for it, and they looked at me with donut eyes, you know, the glazed look. And the Lord gave us a gift for $487,000. A monument. Don't you forget those monuments that God works in your life. A monument. Well, what about when the troubles go on and on? I mentioned that because I had one guy that I knew. And he kept making his problems worse instead of better. And he needed a house. And he took my story and he was expecting somebody to give him a house like we had. He wasn't on the right page. And don't think God's going to do that necessarily the same way. But God will take care of you. But what about... When troubles go on and on. Never lose faith in the end of the story. Some people are going to get hit. They're going to get blasted. And they're going to go on and pray. I mean, I've got some prayers out there. been out there 34 years. I don't know how things will turn out, but I know the end of the story, don't you? Never lose faith in the end of the story. God will never embarrass your stubborn faith if it's grounded on his word. He will never embarrass it. 
And one day that faith will shine and you will shine in glory. Don't ever forget that. What about those of you, you're younger in the faith and you don't have any monuments or you've forgotten some. You don't have any monuments. Well, you do. I just read to you Joshua 3 and 4. Those are borrowed monuments. There are people in this congregation where you see God work and you see God, and they tell their story and you hear about it. Those are borrowed monuments. Take those. I borrowed monuments in my seminary years. Not that I'd never seen God do anything, but I was still just training for this work and still immature in a lot of ways. And we'd go to these chapels and each semester we'd have a, we'd have a, a day of prayer. And I would hear guys get up. We'd sing some and then we guys would get up and they would say something like this. You remember last semester I got up here and I told you that my wife and I had this crisis, some big deal. Said, well, let me tell you what happened. Right after that prayer meeting, I went to my box to see what mail I had and I pulled out a letter from a couple in our church I didn't even know and they didn't know the need and I'm making up a figure and there was $3,000. Took care of everything. I thought I was going to have to drop out of seminary. I can't tell you how many of those stories like that I heard. I borrowed those monuments. Their God is my God and if he will do that, with them. He'll do it for me. If I'm honest with God, if I'm honest with God, if I'm honest with God, if I'm not playing a game, somehow, some way, he'll take care of it. Borrow monuments, borrow monuments from others, borrow monuments from the scriptures. The scriptures are full of them. Don't ever say I don't have any monuments. Yes, that's the way it is. I learned my lesson a hard way. I have time to tell this at least. You remember when I was sitting up at the seminary crying in my beer? Oh God, why won't you sell that house back in Denver? Why won't you sell that house back in Denver? And wow. And then I thought it sold and I told you it didn't. I went to my office, and normally in those days, I kept my office doors open so students wouldn't feel put off by a closed door. Slammed the door, went in, got behind my desk, and sat there. You wouldn't have wanted to talk to me on that day. I almost dared anybody to try to talk to me. I took my seat. I was so mad. We had waited so long. Ossie had waited. She and the girls had been there alone for so long. I sat there in my chair. I can't believe I said this, but I did. I said, Lord, I have served you better than this. I don't deserve this. What a lie. I sat there in that chair, mad so mad 
books on every side. I just wanted to get up if my arms were long enough just to reach out and grab those books, throw them out on the floor, walk down, get my little Datsun B210, and drive back to Denver. Just about the time I reached peak boil point, I didn't hear a voice. I didn't see an angel. But inside, here's what the Spirit of God said to me. Jim, my son, you have forgotten. You have forgotten. You've forgotten Denver. I said, oh, Lord, forgive me. I have. You got to remember these monuments, and I hadn't. What had happened in Denver? Seems like everything that happens to me has to do with the house. So that's not true, but that was. In Denver, we had a house to sell. Ossie and I were building another one. We were getting in a position where we were about into a bridge loan. If you're working at a Bible college, you don't need a bridge loan. You don't really need any kind of loan. (laughs) You need money, but you don't need a bridge loan. And it was getting scary. I had the house up for sale by the best realtor in Denver. He was the highest ranking salesperson in Denver. Well, he's now dead. Roger didn't do one thing to help us. And I got down to the place where I had three days, one weekend, to sell that house, and then it was a bridge loan. Three days. Well, I had a missionary that was in town. We were entertaining him. I knew him from the past. So we were going to have dinner at the house. Austin and I, in desperation, put a little small ad in the course of ads. You don't know what those are, do you? In the course of ads in the Denver Post and uh, advertising our house. Ding, ling, 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 phone rang. I picked it up. I have three days to sell this house or I'm in trouble. Guy says, I saw your ad. Said, uh, could I come over and see your place? I'm close by. I said, well, sir, you'd be most welcome to. I said, I will tell you, we have, we have a fellow here that we're entertaining, but he understands the problem and it wouldn't bother him a bit. So you come right on over. Oh, no. He said, I'll do that tomorrow, which is Sunday. And, uh, I said, well, the only problem there is we'll be in church tomorrow until you can come in the early afternoon. What church do you go to? I said, well, we attend Riverside Baptist, which was a huge church. Jim, you're my Sunday school teacher. I had a huge class at Melton Balcony, just about this many people. And he came over and bought the place. Just like that. Stupid here didn't remember his monuments. You forget these things. So Ossie and I have learned we memorialize them constantly. And boy, does it help because we remember 
The same God that did those things in the past is the same God who's still there. And the same God that's serving God is the same guy that God, same guy that's still here. He hasn't changed. If I haven't changed and gone wacky on him, he's still in the mix and he's still going to take care of issues. You can count on him. There's a sustaining power of monumental faith. Some of you in this room really need it. I know some, and I just trust that you will hear this. You'll take it to heart, and you'll be able someday to say, Jim, I was there when you brought that message or read that book, and many have. And I hope some of you will, because I know some of you are hurting. Some are always hurting. We thank God that our triune God is a God like no other imagined in the mind of man. We praise him and thank him. And that God can be your God if you don't know him. We sang all these songs about Jesus Christ and his blood. If you don't know him, you need the covering of his That's the monument you need. He sent his son to die for you so that you might be redeemed for you are lost. You are a sinner. Believe it or not, you are a sinner. There is none good, no, not one, in the sight of God. All of us are a waste. All of us are a mess. Every single one of us need a Savior. And if you don't have Jesus as your Savior... And if you keep not having him as a Savior, you're going to hell. But if you have him, you're going to know the everlasting God, and you're going to know blessing like you never imagined. I didn't say you'll never have troubles, but you have a God who will lead you in those troubles or through those troubles, around those troubles. But you've got a God who will take care of all your needs and bring you ultimately into his glorious presence. What do you need to do to receive him? what do you need to do to decide to get married? Say yes. (laughs) Say yes to Jesus Christ. Say yes. God is there. God knows you. He sees you. He hears you. You say yes. And right then and right there, you will be born again. You will be saved. Say yes. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so very much for your great monuments that you've worked and all the saints of Scripture you work in our lives. Lord, help us to be ever mindful not to forget, not to be forgetful, but to keep the monuments in mind and daily praise you and to share your monuments with others so they may borrow our monuments just as we've shared this morning. So many more we could have shared, and we are thankful for that. We're thankful for what you did in the days of Joshua and the tribes of Israel. And they carried those monuments with them. But then the day came that they forgot again and again. And your hand of judgment had to rain down on them. But then they would repent and return. Lord, if we need to repent, help us to do that. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. What a wonderful message from Jim.
I thought that was so encouraging to hear all those stories of God's monuments. And I had my own monument yesterday, um, not just yesterday, but uh, when I was, I'm the youngest in my family. I have a couple of older siblings, a sister and a brother. And when I was 10, my sister left the house. She was 15. And we'd been having problems with her for a few years. And she decided she was done and wanted to be basically emancipated, which my parents said no. And she left and we didn't see her for over two years or hear from her. Didn't know if she was dead or alive. And uh, she showed up a couple years later pregnant. And um, that kind of began a long string of years of uh, drug use, addiction, just irrational behavior, scenes being caused, just a lot of family strife as I was growing up and hard for my parents to deal with. They were wonderful parents. And uh, in the last, I would say, maybe seven years, five to seven years, she's kind of turned her life around. And we've just watched. It's been a slow um, retrusting because we've had to have boundaries for so many years. A lot of separate holidays without her there where we had to tell her not to come. It was It was tough really hard for my parents. It it was like having a child who was living, but who had died. And I was just talking with my mom on the phone yesterday, and my sister has been working her way through college. She's 46, I believe. And she's been trying to make her way through college and really persevering and having to take classes over again that she didn't pass. And I'm really proud of her. And she recently has gotten kind of into the healthcare field, and she has actually become one of my mom's official caregivers. If you don't know my mom, she's had a hard life of disability and needs caregivers at home. And she asked me what I thought of my sister being her care, one of her caregivers, and I said, I think this could be a beautiful opportunity, Mom. I think this could be some, some healing, and I've seen a big change in her in the last few years. And So they allowed her into their home to become one of her caregivers part-time. And I talked to my mom yesterday, and I said, Mom, how's that going with with her? And she said, you know what? We sat on the couch yesterday, and we cried. And I told her I forgave her for everything. (laughs) And I've just watched this strange relationship for so many years and longed that we could be united again as a family. And my mom said, you know... Your dad and your sister, they tell each other they love each other all the time, and they hug regularly, and he thanks her every time she comes over, and she's doing such a good job. We've realized that we trained her well when she was a young child. We trained her how to do chores. She's good at cleaning up, and she's good at taking care of sick people, and it was just such a beautiful conversation. I said, Mom, that's such a picture of the gospel of redemption, and only God could do that. Only God could put that back together in such a beautiful way and give them a chance to heal their relationship. And I just, I praise him for that monument because we've prayed for her for over 30 years. It's been my whole life, most most of my life, that she's kind of been estranged. So I just praise God that she is back with him and walking and and doing the right things and, and that he's given them that opportunity to restore relationship. Amen. <clears throat> Amen. A lot of monuments. Um, you know, Becky and I can relate to a lot of Jim's stories. We've had a number of them ourselves um, just since coming to Lake. 
and uh, I mean, b- before as well, but but a lot even just since coming to Lake, and and uh, you know, even even just the fact that we're up here is is a monument. Uh, I I know a lot of you probably aren't aware of the fact I was hired originally to uh, to work on a database for <laughs> for Lake Powell, to manage a database. And if anybody, any of you know me, that's that's not really my my wheelhouse. And uh, but the uh, w- the week that we got here, Paul Featherstone, who used to be the worship leader here, and hired us, the week that we got here, he announced he was leaving, while Pastor Jim was in Naples. <laughs> <laughs> and, and we uh, thought we were going to get a break from music. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, this is the this is my favorite part. Of, yep. of what we do is is leading us all in worship together. So um, praise the Lord. It's just another one of many monuments. Um, as we close in worship this morning, the the ushers are going to pass around the offering plate. So uh, if you're just visiting, don't feel obligated to give, but but we're going to pass that around um, so that we can all just show our gratitude and our our trust in the Lord. Um, in in this area, in the area of our finances, and uh, and also though, because it is a communion Sunday, there is a black box at the back of the gym for the Deacons Fund, which is a a fund that goes to people who are in need, either within our body or even people outside of our body here, um, who come and say, "Hey, I I need help." Um, those funds go to help people in real tangible ways. And so uh, consider leaving something in there as well. Let's just pray and uh, and pray over the offering and then we'll close with, with a final song um, from Psalm 90 called Satisfy Us. That's just all about finding our, our whole satisfaction in Christ alone, and uh, which is a great way to, to end after that message. Heavenly Father, we just... Uh, we do just thank you so much for all of the monuments that you have left for us to just remember your faithfulness, to remember your goodness, Lord, and that uh, and that you are always with us, um, and that God, you have uh, you have left us with many, many amazing monuments in your Word, and uh, and as we walk um, closely with you, Lord. Um, if we're watching carefully, we'll see you providing all over the place. And uh, so, Lord, we just thank you for that. We thank you that that is your character and that um, and that you do um, care for your children. And uh, so, God, we uh, we just close this morning and, and uh, uh, just give you praise for that fact and uh, and entrust you. Um, with even uh, our income, and Lord, we just uh, we just do this in the name of Your Son, Amen. Let's stand together and praise Him.
Dear brothers and sisters, we do not, do not have any announcements. But what we do have is an opportunity to pray for our pastor and his wife. And that's how we're going to close the message. Because he and she have been a monument to this church for 32 years. And in the Bible it says it is right and good, as we said on Mother's Day last Sunday, to give honor to those it's due. And so as he points us to God and to his word and to anchoring our faith and what God has done in the scriptures and in eternity and in our own life, we want to return that by honoring him in prayer. Let's do that. Father, we want to come before you in Jesus' name and thank you, Lord, for Senior Pastor Jim Andrews and his wife, Olsi Andrews, and their family and all that they've given, the blood, the sweat, the tears, the prayers, the teaching over the years, the things that we'll never know but you know. And now that they're in a place, Father, where they've been hit by not only COVID and its residual effects, but also a broken bone and its residual effects, we would ask, Father, for your healing, your encouragement, your providence, just your sense of 
affirmation because I know that they strive and strain towards that great affirmation that those faithful servants will hear, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your Lord. And while we pray that that's not yet for the final one for years to come, we pray that they will hear it in their hearts from your spirit if it is your will. We thank you for them and the blessing they've been. Pray a blessing on each one of us here as we go into whether adult Bible fellowships or the rest of our day and our week. We pray that you would remind us, Lord, through the power of your spirit, what you have done for us first in Christ and then in many personal ways, Lord, in our day-to-day life and family. In Jesus' name, amen.